As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 2nd. Michael Beller and Brandon Funston here with you today. No Jake Seeley. Jake uh, taking a little bit of time off before we get ready for really the uh, the big time in the fantasy football calendar. We're not too far away from that, Brandon, as we are now into the summer into June, what, about a month from now, really post-4th of July, we can start thinking about drafts in earnest. When do you start thinking about it? When do you get sit down and be like, all right, fantasy football season's back? I, I really think yeah. about it as like a post-4th of July season beginning. I'm kind of with you. It's a post-4th of July, maybe post-MLB uh, All-Star break. Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of gets you into the second half of the summer. Uh, I'm ready, though, because, man, fantasy baseball is just crushing me. <laughs> I got, like, you know, each team has, like, eight to ten guys, uh, you know, that are eligible for IL. I can't fit them all in there, by the way. Like, if you're only operating two IL spots in your in your league, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. Um, so, yeah, I'm very frustrated by fantasy baseball, and I'm very welcoming uh, for the fantasy football season to hit us here. Yeah, I am. Actually, I have a team that's doing pretty well despite a uh, – See Mike Trout, George Springer, Franil Reyes all sitting on the IL mm. right now. Three pretty key guys, but uh, the team's succeeding, so uh, I'm feeling <laughs> feeling pretty good about my uh, GM and managerial skills in that league. <laughs> I'm sure, but, that's it. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's uh, of course that that's what's happening there. Uh, but I'm, I'm with I'm, you know I'm ready to uh, I'm ready for the football season to pick up in in earnest and in a way that we uh, talk about when we talk about fantasy football. But we still have plenty to get to. I was hoping. Uh, when I was putting this together yesterday that we were going to have a Julio Jones trade to talk about. That is not the case. We still know Titans are in the mix. Seattle Seahawks are in the mix. But Julio still an Atlanta Falcon as of right now. Maybe we'll get some news during the show and we can react to it in show. More likely it'll be you and I will hang up with this show and then like three minutes later he'll get traded. That'll be the more likely way things will go. But still plenty to talk about even without that Julio trade. And uh, the first things I want to talk about here, Brandon, are a couple of big name players returning from ACL tears and where they stand in their returns. The first of which is Saquon Barkley. And there's some 
reports going around that Saquon is going to be limited early in the season. Not limited from a he-won't-play standpoint, but not the volume that we would typically expect from Saquon Barkley. Not necessarily going to be dominating the touches out of the Giants' backfield early in the season. Maybe some chance that they ease him along and we don't see a 20-plus touch Saquon week in and week out until October. Obviously, this is early, super early. It's June 2nd. Obviously, this is speculation. But in a world where Saquon is being eased in through just the first month of the season, is that enough to push him down your draft rankings at all? Um, I think it's enough to knock him out of probably the top three or four. I don't think mm-hmm. you're knocking him out of the second half of the first round. Uh, the expectation is still there that he is going to be, a, you know, a touch monster at some point. And I think, you know, what if he's healthy, the problem that I see with it, it all sounds good about limiting him. But mm-hmm. then when you if you take a, Sa- a Saquon Barkley that's healthy and you start juxtaposing him with a Devontae Booker or a Ryquel Armstead or a Corey Clement. And the coach is suddenly going to have to make the call. Well, yeah, we've got to limit him, but man, I really want him on the field over those guys, you know? And so I think that's always the best laid plans, you know, can go, can go by the wayside pretty quickly. So I'm, you know, this is an ACL guys come back from ACLs all the time these days and they come back very strong. So yeah, maybe it could be a couple weeks of limiting him. I don't think it's going to be a first half of the season kind of a deal. It's a week two ACL also. This is a game against the Bears in week two of the 2020 season that Saquon suffered his torn ACL. So by the time week one of this season gets here, he's going to be very close to a full calendar year removed from the incidents of the injury. I'm not, I'm just not sure I buy this. For all the reasons yeah. you said, like, are they really going to uh, put, like, make this an even split between Saquon and those other backs, even for just one game? Like, I don't know that I buy it. And then, all, like, another thing that I, that I throw into here for another reason I don't fully buy it is, you know, we know what running backs are in the NFL these days. I mean, just look at Todd Gurley. Look at the evolution of Todd Gurley. And sure, he came into the NFL with some injury concerns coming out of Georgia. But look at what he was a couple of years ago versus here, not on a team. A couple of years ago, this guy was the best running back in NFL, the most productive running back in the league just a few short years ago. And now he's not even on a team at the start of June. What I am saying here is that you only get so many shots. You only get so many bites at the apple with this high first round pick uh, uh, as a running back. And so I don't know what the Giants, if the Giants want to waste it, especially in an NFC East that even with what Washington did last year, and I think making probably a quarterback upgrade, bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, this is an eminently winnable division for really all four teams in it. Even getting Dak Prescott back healthy, I think Dallas is the favorite, but I just don't know how much of that you want to waste and one win can make a big difference. I just don't buy that Saquon Barkley is going to be pushed down or pushed out of the lineup to a spot where he's splitting time with these guys evenly. It just doesn't it doesn't add up to me no matter what they say in June. Yeah, what is this year four of his of his? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean they gotta they also know like there's going to be a, you know a talk about a extending him for the fifth year and maybe a future contract and I don't think you want to you know slow play half the season and then make that decision. So um, can this guy be a can he be a you know a, a week in a week out guy that you know they're gonna have to kind of figure that out in the next year? So um, I think that leads to, again get back to I think there could be some slow playing early. I mean, but I don't expect it to last long. So I'm still top five probably on him, but maybe the fifth one. I think when you're 
drafting that high, you're looking for excuses to knock a guy down. And now Saquon Barkley has one, you know, and so it might put him at the back of that top five line. But I think he's still right there. So McCaffrey, Dalvin, Henry, who else you have ahead of Barkley if he is at the back end of that top five? Yeah, I think Kamara, and I honestly think that it would come down to, I think we're sliding Ezekiel Elliott. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, look what his numbers were with Dak Prescott before Prescott got injured, and he was exactly who we thought he was, you know, and he was doing, right. and everything went so bad. It's such a bad taste. It's funny. Saquon's not going to take as big a ding for having an ACL injury and missing the entire season as Ezekiel Elliott is going to take a ding for having to be saddled with Ben DiNucci and Andy Dalton and, <laughs> and, and just an awful team where everybody kind of checked out. So um, I, I still put Ezekiel there. I'd probably still take Barkley, but I think it's it's pretty close. Receiving volume was there for Zeke too when Dak Prescott was healthy. So that's going to be that's going to be a really interesting offense to take a look at. And it's something we'll dive into a little bit more when Jake Seeley is back with us. And really the, the first like – I mean, the first eight picks of fantasy drafts this year, I think, are going to be really interesting. I personally don't see an argument for anyone other than Christian McCaffrey as the number one overall pick. I know some people do. I don't. But then Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Jonathan Taylor, Alvin Kamara, Zeke. I mean, there are a lot of different, totally reasonable ways to mix up your running back rankings two through eight. Maybe even you throw Aaron Jones in there two through nine. I mean, there are a lot of different ways to go, and I think it's something we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about. I don't see any consensus hardening uh, in that group of guys, even in like a two through four, two through five. It's going to be, I think, a very fun summer to talk about the running back position, the very top of the running back position, coincidentally, the very top of our fantasy drafts. How about Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow, another guy coming back from an ACL tear. Burrow uh, suffered his much later in the season than, uh, than Saquon Barkley suffered his torn ACL. Everything we've heard out of Cincinnati is everything that you would expect. Everything uh, is progressing right along at this stage, three months out. From the start of the season, no reason to doubt that Burrow will be under center for the Bengals in week one. But there was some interesting uh, quotes coming from Burrow himself over the last week or so. And uh, here it is. I'm just going to read it to you. Burrow said, I don't know how mobile I'll be yet. It's too early to tell if I'll feel normal evading the rush and doing all that. I'm optimistic. I feel good right now. We'll have to wait and see uh, until camp, yada, yada, yada. It goes from there. We know how important it has become for quarterbacks uh, to be mobile, not only in evading good pass rushes in the NFL, but in being able to create with their legs, literally create with their legs, running for yards, running for touchdowns, and also buying time and then making plays with their arm. Burrow's one of those guys who, you know, not quite, obviously no one's going to confuse him for Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen or Kyler Murray or anyone like that, but someone maybe like a Carson Wentz type of runner, someone who can do a little bit of damage with his legs when he is healthy. Does the fact that he already three months out is setting some expectations and level setting for the fact that he might not run very much, if at all, early in the season, does that concern you for what his draft stock should be? There's a, there's a few things that concern me as much as we love the weapons. Like if you dive into the numbers last year, you know, 37% completion percentage under pressure was one of the, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, Worst marks in the league among regular quarterbacks. Um, he had one one deep pass touchdown of twenty plus yard air yards. You know, like there's a lot to be worried about with that offensive line. And yes, they they should be improved. They got some guys back um, and and made some changes there that should help. And then you get Jamar Chase, and that should help. But if he's less mobile. You know the under pressure thing is it becomes even more of a concern. Um, right. So so yeah, I think. 
he's a mixed bag for me. There's plenty to like. There's plenty to not like. And that's why I can't put him in my QB1 top 12. Uh, I have him just outside of that. He's top 15 for me. Um, but I think that there's just enough concern about the injury, enough concern about that offensive line and the metrics that he put up last year in that situation mm-hmm. that I'm like, okay, again, it's kind of like we're looking for things to, to ding guys for, and um, that, that'll do it for me. Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I sit there with you too, and I think that I, I think top 15 is fair. So last year in the 10 games he did play, he ran for 142 yards and three touchdowns on 37 carries. Again, he's got like that Carson Wentz sort of feel to him and uh, can be savvy in near the goal line perhaps. And so I think we do have to ding him a little bit if he's not going to be that guy. And then you wonder how much of a lingering effect is there. How how effective is he without being a runner? And does that start to trickle down and carry over even as his knee is getting healthier and healthier? It all adds up to someone who I, I feel like I'm going to be a little bit lower on than where the consensus is right now. Uh, he's, he's somewhere right in that low-end one, high-end two range. Guys who are being drafted in very early drafts in the same range as him, you're going to find Matthew Stafford, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Ryan, Trevor Lawrence. Like, I don't know, Funson. I'm inclined to take him last out of that entire group, which feels uh, like a little bit unfair, but I can find more arguments for taking those guys than I can for taking Burrow right now. I think at least for me, there's three ahead of him, and I think it comes down to Matt Ryan. Does he have Julio Jones? Just Calvin right. Ridley and, you know, uh, Kyle Pitts as a rookie and he doesn't run at all really. So like that would be where I'd probably be struggling, but I, I'm, I think I'm definitely taking the other three ahead of him. And there's, I mean, there's no, when you look at, when you look at the guys who are comfortably ahead of him, but there's no argument, like quarterback is a position where we are going to find some hardening, right? Mahomes, Allen, Kyler, Lamar, Dak, Russ, Rogers, Herbert Hertz. I mean, like that, I feel like, you're, you might have a different seven eight nine than I do, but pretty much everyone's going to have the same top nine, top ten if you want to throw Brady in there. So I don't even think there's an argument for pushing Burrow up uh, above where his consensus is now, and I think we're only going to see him slide. Maybe he sticks, but I think he either sticks or slides. There's not going to be any you know boom of, uh, of draft stock for Joe Burrow as we get closer and closer to draft season because of the pathways to it. I, I just think they're just not there, right? Right. Yeah, I think there's probably 12 quarterbacks that you could argue into all the way up to like number 12 at quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, like they're just from from 12 to 24. You could mix and match. But I think Burrow belongs in there. And if you want to put him at the top of that little second group, that's fine. Yep. I, but I, I just don't like you mentioned how deep that top 10 is. And I think you throw Trevor Lawrence in there because we're excited about him. And maybe, you know, Ryan Tannehill is a guy that. I mean, look at him as a starter in Tennessee. It's just he hasn't been wrong. I mean, he's been a, mm-hmm. a slam dunk top 10 fantasy quarterback. So I think we got to reward him for nearly two full seasons of just exemplary work in fantasy as well. So, uh, you know, Burrow, again, there's there's enough question marks. I think he gets knocked out of the QB1 class. And what happens with Tannehill if they end up trading for Julio Jones? And he's suddenly looking at a Julio Jones, uh, A.J. Brown receiving duo, even if we're only talking about 10 or 11 games of Julio Jones, that is as physically imposing a receiver duel as you're going to duo as you're going to get in the NFL. And it's a team that's still going to want to run, 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 run with Derrick Henry. But you also don't go out and make whatever the trade would have to be to get Julio Jones to be a as run heavy as you've been in the past. So 
another reason why Brian Tannehill could be potentially moving up ahead of Joe Burrow. And I agree with you on the fact that there are so many guys in that next group of quarterbacks. Really, that next group of quarterbacks is we're going to say like stratification in the top of the quarterback ranks, right? There's going to be a tier. I would say personally a tier of one of Patrick Mahomes. Then you've got like a tier of Alan Murray, Lamar, then a tier of Dak, Russ, Rogers. Again, you can break it up however you like, but I feel like within the first nine or 10 quarterbacks, there's going to be three or four tiers. And then 12 through 24 is just one giant tier. And I wouldn't be surprised to see almost any of those guys end up at the top of it. Joe Burrow could be ranked at the top of it to start the season, but it might be tough for him to remain there, especially if he's not running. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, let's uh, let's get to that discussion here, Brandon. I thought it'd be fun to uh, set the stage as we turn the calendar over to summer with some of our favorite early MVP bets that is all posted for you right now on BetMGM among division odds, Super Bowl odds, all sorts of fun stuff, and of course, already week one lines. Uh, the favorites, they're exactly who you expect them to be. Patrick Mahomes, he's plus 500. Aaron Rodgers, plus 800. Josh Allen is at plus 1,200. Lamar and Kyler at both at plus 1,400. Next group of guys, you got Tom Brady at plus 1,600. Russ and Dak sitting at plus 2,000. Obviously, this is a quarterback award. I think you're going to see a whole lot of people, Brandon, attach themselves to either Russ or Dak and go for that 20 to 1 odds because it feels like both of those guys in their 99th percentile seasons could have run away with this award. Yeah, well, so here's the deal. You, you kind of asked for a long shot bet. I wouldn't bet a long shot at all. I don't think that yep. the MVP gets past these top eight guys. If you look at the top eight quarterbacks, Mahomes, Rodgers, Allen, Brady, Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott, I don't know how one of those guys doesn't win this thing. So I wouldn't waste my money. I'm trying to look at the rest of the group, and I think you you like Baker Mayfield, and I understand that, and I'm like trying to wrap my head around like maybe Ryan Tannehill if they, if they mm-hmm. do bring in Julio Jones. But then if Tennessee does really well, Derrick Henry's taking some of that. Credit, no doubt about it. So, sure. um, yeah, I'm in the Dak and Russell Wilson. I, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't bet on my own guy in Seattle. So I'm, <laughs> I, I could see Dak putting up huge numbers if that defense is a little bit better. They, you know, that NFC East is there for the taking. They win it. You know, at, at that point, that's where the voting comes in. So I could see Dak being right up there. I'd probably go Dak or Brady if I'm if I'm in Vegas and I'm dropping uh, some money on one of these bets here. Here's the problem with the long shots that you were uh, hinting at, right? Like, so Baker Mayfield. I do like Baker Mayfield. I think Cleveland could have a very good season. I think that a Baker Mayfield MVP case would be built as much on the Browns going like 13 and four. And I 
hate I hate that these are the new records we have to talk about. Uh, 13 and 4, 17 game season. I could see them doing that. Baker having a really good, not quite great, but a really good year. Them winning what could be a very tough division and, you know, part of the narrative getting Baker Mayfield to the MVP award, but even that argument, right? Like I could see him being better than, I don't know what, just to pull a few at random. I could see him having a better season than Aaron Rodgers, Lamar Jackson, and Russell Wilson. But is he going to have a better season than those three guys and Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray and Josh Allen and Dak Prescott? I think that's really where things get tough for any of these long shots. It's not like one of these long shots I would be willing to bet will end up in the top three of MVP voting, top four of MVP voting. But we're talking about the top one of MVP voting, and I find it very hard to believe that anyone outside of that first group of eight guys is going to outpace all of them and be the MVP. I will say the one interesting name that's mixed in there that I that I omitted purposely because I wanted to have a special discussion uh, in that we, you know we top eight, top eight, top eight. Well, there's a top nine before there's a first drop, not only uh, in a big odds way, but to our first not quarterback where we find Christian McCaffrey at plus twenty five hundred. Matthew Stafford is 18 to 1. Better odds than Dak Prescott, better odds than Russell Wilson, and who's who's making that bet? Are there any non-Rams fans making that bet, Funston? <laughs> well, I, I think you could argue your way into this is maybe the best football team uh, on both sides of the ball combined. I mean, that defense is fantastic. So if this is just a matter of McVay feeling like he's got the guy that, that can pull the trigger at quarterback that does all the things he wants to do and the way he wants to do them, then, you know, maybe you can get excited about that. We haven't seen Matt Stafford outside of Detroit, which, you know, there hasn't been too many shining moments in Detroit. Right. So he, this is as good of a hand as Matt Stafford's ever been dealt. So it's it's kind of on him. I'm not making the bet, but I, I, I guess I can rationalize a way to, to seeing why it is what it is. I mean, for me, it also gets back to having a better season than everyone else again. And like, Mm -hmm. like even if like, so even if you grant the argument or even if it ends up being true that the Rams go, I don't know, 16 and one, 15 and two, they have the best team on both sides of the ball in the NFL. Like the chiefs are going to be in the playoffs. (laughs) Like the bills are going to be in the playoffs. These are like Mahomes, Rogers, Allen, Lamar, Brady, Wilson, those guys were all on playoff teams last year. Dak wasn't, and Dak probably is, frankly, if he doesn't get hurt. And Kyler Murray wasn't. The Cardinals went 8-8. Eight and eight. They were the first team out of the playoffs in the NFC. All those guys could be playoff quarterbacks this year. No one would be surprised if all those guys were playing playoff football this year. So it's not like – I just don't see Stafford standing out in that way unless the Rams are just – head and shoulders above the rest of the league and go to like the NFC championship game or the Super Bowl. And again, it's just hard to imagine all of that falling into place. So it's it's hard to make an argument for anyone who's not the obvious choices. Yeah, I was just looking at the last 14 MVPs. Nine of nine of them nine times has gone to Brady, Manning, and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> you know, it's it's a very chalky award. It is. You know, they love the the name brand quarterback. And if a name brand quarterback does good, then they're likely to get it. So Mahomes, you know, Lamar Jackson, you know, I, I guess the other guy is in there, Matt Ryan, when he took the team, that would be maybe like the Matt Stafford taking right the Rams but Cam Newton when he won it he was right and you know he was one of the biggest names in football at the time so mm-hmm. uh you again there's probably if you go back and look there's Matt Ryan might be the only guy that and I'm probably wrong on this he probably was top eight but I'm just saying like a top eight guy probably has won this award most every year for like the last two decades 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, Matt Ryan not only was on that what uh, you know the what did they what did they go that year? I mean, a third, was that there was that a thirteen and three that year was, for them or an eleven and five year for them? Something like that, right? Yeah, two thousand seventeen, and I'm guessing. I mean, Ryan could have had a bad year in two thousand sixteen. He did that a couple times where he mm-hmm. kind of did like a randomly off year. So that's why I'm just wondering if he had a big year in two thousand sixteen, he was probably you know, top five or top six in the MVP running going into the year. And he had a ridiculous statistical year. The year he won the MVP led the league in yards per attempt, 38 touchdowns, just seven interceptions. I mean, it's not just that the Falcons were a good team. It's also that he had an awesome year. And so Stafford would have to match that. I, I, I just, I really like from when you combine both, when you combine all of the realities of the NFL MVP award, who these players are, who these teams are, and, you know, the betting odds, the fact that do you really want to put down, you know, a bet on Patrick Mahomes at 5-1 to one and have your money tied up for the entire season on a 5-1 to one bet? Like, I don't know <laughs> yeah. about that. Like, I, I just – to me, this is a this is a Dak or Russ bet or no one. Right. Exactly. For people that are realistic to win, you might as well take the back end of the realistic candidates, and I, I'm with you on that. And, and for me – Maybe Josh Allen at 12-1. to one. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's not again. I you go over a little bit longer odds, uh, and yeah, for me it's Dak, and uh, but yeah. Josh Josh Allen makes some sense as well. Um, all right, let's move on to a team that is playing with a new quarterback this season. The New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees, of course, has uh, retired and moved on to the next chapter of his life. So the Saints moving on to the next chapter of their football lives and. New quarterback, Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill. Things are going to be very interesting for the Saints, and not surprisingly, starting to hear some things that it will not be the same old Saints. In fact, uh, got a story up on The Athletic, a very good story to check out. Basically, just you know, looking at these new Saints entering OTAs from our own Larry Holder. And uh, an interesting nugget that Larry pulled out is that the Saints could lean more than ever on the run game. And, you know, we know they have two very good running backs in Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray. Alvin Kamara, no matter what draft you're in, I promise you, Alvin Kamara uh, will be anywhere between the second and eighth pick in your draft at the absolute latest. So that's what Alvin Kamara is. That's what he brings to the table. We're going to have a lot to talk about with Alvin Kamara all summer. I want to talk to you, Funston, about Latavius Murray. And I'm wondering if Latavius Murray is shaping up to be a bargain. He had a role alongside Alvin Kamara last year. He's going to have a role alongside uh, Alvin Kamara this season, maybe even larger than what he had last year. He's a guy who has basically always contributed something useful in the real-life game when he's been healthy, and that has occasionally translated into the fantasy game. Right now, by MFL 1080p, he is the 53rd running back off boards in average drafts. He is a 14th-round pick. That's going to rise. I feel comfortable saying that, but I'm not sure it's going to rise to a point that fairly reflects what his value is going to be to the Saints this season. Yeah, you know, I was I'm in the middle of a draft right now, half PPR draft, and it's like we're in the 30s at the running back position, and you're starting to see guys like Devin Singletary and Kenyon Drake go, you know, and I'm like, I'm kind of with you on that. If the Saints want to run the ball more, it's probably not going to be a whole lot more with Alvin Kamara. I think he's capped right. in terms of what they want to give him. So if there's, you know, if there's 400 carries, they're not giving Kamara more than 200 of those most likely. So that's, you know, and, and again, I think Latavius Murray is going in the 50s. You'd be hard-pressed to look at his time in New Orleans and see where that value matches up with what he's actually produced on the field, you know. So um, I, I think he's a guy that probably belongs in the back end of that RB3 class in the mid 
in the mid thirties, mm-hmm. and you're talking about a guy going in the fifties. So I love the value. Uh, that, that said, you know they're talking about running the ball more. They ran the ball a lot last year. They were they, they were top yeah. five in in rush percentage, uh, top eleven in total running back carries. So. I'm curious to know how much that that needle can move because I'm guessing it probably can't. Even if they want to do it, it's probably not going to move a, a ton. And if it was going to move, especially when we're talking about the rate of running the ball, you said top five in rush percentage. Uh, this was also a very successful team yeah, last right. year, and there's reason to believe that they would take a little bit of a step back without Drew Brees. So will they be able to run as much if they're not protecting leads the way that they were in the 2020 season. Um, Latavius has had two very similar years in New Orleans. His first season with the team, 2019, 146 carries, 637 yards, five touchdowns, 30, uh, 43 targets, 235 yards, and a score through the air. Last year, same exact number of uh, carries, 146, 656 yards, four touchdowns on the ground, another touchdown through the air, 23 catches. Two very similar, as close to identical years as you're going to have. And, and so I think that we <laughs> Did can you look call at his Minnesota 2018 was almost exactly the same as well. I mean, he. Yeah, right. So I, like, is that a floor? Is that a floor for Latavius this season? If we are operating from the assumption that the Saints offense is going to change its stripes at least a little bit, no matter how run heavy they were last year. <laughs> it's almost a floor and a ceiling. I, I don't know. I feel like yeah, we're exactly, up against exactly. both of those that. there. I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe a 17 game season, 700, 750 yards is probably a ceiling, uh, you know, but you're, you're talking about maybe a half dozen touchdowns, but again, like you just mentioned that, what was he last year? He was like uh, RB 30. He was in the low thirties in terms of actual production. So, uh, yeah, right. I, I'm just once I get into that Kenyon Drake and Devin Singletary point of the draft. I mean, I think it's Latavius Murray time as well. I'm gonna I want to pull up where he was at. Uh, we'll use half PPR as our number. Latavius, he was RB35. Okay, last I was year. looking at yeah, and half PPR scoring uh, sandwiched in between Gus Edwards and Daryl Henderson. Okay, well, Gus Edwards is a pretty good comp. No, no, no yeah. real involvement. I think it's a good comp for this year, yeah. like the roles they're going to inhabit for their teams. Yeah, that's a good challenge right? bet. Like Which who's gonna who's yeah. gonna do better as the kind of the run only number two running back in a in a good offense? Oh man, we're gonna have to look at all these great. <laughs> this is it's too early to talk about that. We can't talk about that here. We got to save that for a little bit later. I do want to ask you one more question about Latavius. The question with him, this is a fair question for Gus Edwards. It's a fair question for a handful of running backs who are, you know, obviously useful, but not quite slam dunk every week starters. Like how, how confident do you feel plugging Latavius Murray into your uh, starting lineup? If you're assuming, you know, this is going to be an eight to 12 carry game at best. And I need him to make the most of that. Like, how good do you feel about Latavius Murray, the fantasy starter? Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know, five out of 10, four out of 10. Like <laughs> that's, you know, I've, I've talked about this draft. I'm in right now. My strategy is to get three running backs in the first five rounds. I, I, I feel mm-hmm. good enough about the, you know, about the mid round wide receiver depth. I, my problem is I just don't want to get stuck in that world, having to rely meaningfully on a guy like Latavius Murray, no, no slight to Latavius, but mm-hmm. uh, if you focus on getting three running backs, in the first five, five rounds you end up getting uh you know all running backs that you feel very good about you end up getting like you know for um well i'm, I'm managing three different teams in this draft so in each <laughs> one of them uh i've got three out of five and you get you know, three of the top 25 running backs and and you feel really good about it when you, when everybody else is scrambling for these guys later on and you don't have to do it so that's been kind of a mission of mine is just to just to take care of running back early 
Another thing we're going to have to talk about as we get a little closer to draft season in earnest, but I'm on the same page as you. I know it's like the square uh, page to be on, but there's reasons that uh, I'm going to be going running back heavy early on, and there's so many receivers that you feel not only good about, but like really awesome about having as week in and week out starters. We'll get into that. We should do some best ball drafts here at mm-hmm. the Athletic Fantasy Football Pod and really have those as things we can go back to and look at as this summer progressed. All right, Funston, just a couple more things I want to talk about. And uh, <laughs> I hate to be flippant, but it's also kind of fun. Like, both of these, to me, fall into the do-we-care bucket <laughs> of uh, not only this part of the of the fantasy football season, but really maybe the entire fantasy football season. Uh, Zach Ertz, uh, he's getting brought up in trade rumors. Buffalo just restructured their cap space by uh, changing around the way they're paying Stephon Diggs. So they freed some space up. They restructured that Stephon Diggs deal. Immediately, there were a lot of uh, arrows being drawn. Zach Ertz to Buffalo. Other teams reportedly are in this mix. Do we care? Do we care from a fantasy perspective where Zach Ertz ends up in the 2021 season? I mean, mildly. Um we care that he leaves Philadelphia. So Dallas Goddard, you know, is completely, yes. <laughs> completely, you know, un- uninhibited there. But uh, like the Bills, mildly interesting. I think Josh Allen is not interested in, in dumping the ball off to his running backs or throwing to his tight end. He likes to sling it downfield. So I don't yeah. know how great a tight end fit will ever be with Josh Allen. Um the one that I, I could get get behind is if he were to go to Indy and and paired mm-hmm. back up with Carson Wentz and and Frank Reich, uh, I could see that and and be mildly you know interested in that, but I don't really care a whole lot. I'm not hanging on on the you know the news that's breaking around Zach Ertz. I think the problem is, you know, I heard that they wanted like a third or fourth rounder initially, and I think he's like a 17 million dollar cap hit and yeah. like like. Like there's going to have to be them taking on some money and lowering their demands. I don't see how he gets anything higher than a fifth round pick at this point in his career. So um, I don't know. I I, I guess the one I threw out that I thought made some sense because they have they have money to do it is uh, San Francisco. And, you know, George Kittles missed a few games, but that would be a luxury kind of a backup thing to have. Have a guy like that. He went to Stanford. Uh, They can they could swing it. And if it didn't cost them a whole lot then I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up getting into the mix on that. Like he just feels like a like a lesser Rob Gronkowski to me right now. Like where no matter where he is, even like I think Indy's the perfect fit for him. Indy will maximize what you get out of Zach Ertz this season. But even there, isn't he like a touchdown dependent 50 catch 570 yard kind of player for the season? I think so. Uh, just you know, and I don't know if last it's unfair to kind of like just you know say that the clear the career cliff came last year. He looked bad, and but everything mm-hmm. in Philadelphia looked bad. So right. um, I'm giving Carson Wentz the benefit of the doubt. Maybe Zach Ertz, you know, just a change of scenery would do him good, and he'll be better than you know be a little bit more like the the old Zach Ertz that we remember. But I I kind of feel like. He's at the point where, and it's the same with Julio. I just wouldn't, I just mm-hmm. don't trust that they'll be, that they have, you know, that they have the vitality anymore to be long-term help in fantasy. He just, he just did not look the part in the games he was healthy last season. And, yeah. you know, we, we can't know, we can't know for sure how healthy he was in the games that he played, but he played 11 games. I, I would imagine that he was, 
you know, more healthy than not for a good chunk of those 335 yards, 36 catches. And even if you go back to the season before, I mean, you know, no one just sleepwalks their way into 916 yards and six touchdowns on 88 catches. He had a great season. He had 135 targets that year. And there is no team that is getting him 135 targets. There's no team that's getting him anywhere near that number. I don't care where he goes. So volume might be a concern for him as well. His body's a concern. The offense he ends up in could be a concern. Again, I just... I would like to see Indy just because I want to see, especially at this tight end position, we want as many useful guys as we can possibly have. I'm not sure if Zach Ertz is going to fit into that mix this season. There's one team that might not fit into our fantasy mix at all. That's where (laughs) I want to wrap up this episode. It's the Houston Texans. And they're on my mind because they signed Rex Burkhead yesterday, two days ago. I can't remember exactly when it was. Sometime this week, they signed Rex Burkhead. And so we're now looking at a team that's got David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, and Rex Burkhead. We don't know what their quarterback situation is. We got Brandon Cooks, Andre Roberts, Kiki Kuti, Nico Collins as the top guys on their wide receiver depth chart. Nico Collins, a third round pick in this year's draft. Uh, are we going to care about this team at all? <laughs> this are, is the that, this is the twenty twenty one version of the twenty twenty Jets, right? Like yeah, where we right. just don't care. I don't care at all. I don't want any of those guys. Um, I don't know what they're doing at running back. I, in a way, I'm starting to come around to thinking that this is uh, this is driving David Johnson's his stock way down. He actually might end up being a value when it's all said and done because he's. I mean, I think he might still end up being the guy, and especially if they're going to yeah. be throwing the ball a ton. Um, you know, I think he could end up like he's he hasn't gone in the top thirty six running backs in this draft I'm in right now, and that might probably be dropping him too much. But I just mm-hmm. don't know why they're throwing so much uh, those other veterans around the position. Uh, why they didn't you know really do anything meaningful in the draft? Um, the receivers, if it's if there's no Deshaun Watson in the picture. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think this is Brandon Cooks finally finds out what Allen Robinson's been dealing with all these years. <laughs> you know, he went from the Saints and the he's he's had it so good in his career, he bouncing around. But um, this will be the first time he might be running into a quarterback roadblock. David Johnson becomes actually pretty interesting. I think that's the angle that is interesting in Houston because of exactly what you said. Like, no one's going to want to get invested in this off. Like, is there, there might not be a worse brand pairing of player and team than David Johnson and the Houston Texans. No <laughs> one would be excited about David Johnson basically wherever he was. No one's excited about anything with Houston, almost no ever, no matter who they could possibly bring in. So you have this toxic player and this toxic team that are together and it's driving down his value to a point where I'm with you. I think there's might there might be something here. I'm not going to be the person who is out on a limb on David Johnson. I'm not taking him with you said he hasn't gone in the first 36 picks. Like I'm not taking him as RB30. I'm not taking or RB you know 27. But if we get to a point where that's where his value settles and he is treated as a low end RB3 Guy caught 33 passes on 46 targets for 314 yards last year. He ran for 691 yards on 147 carries. He scored eight touchdowns. Like, he's not a total nothing. And even the worst teams in the league are going to score some points. Like, there, we might be getting to a point where it's gone too far. The pendulum has swung too far against David Johnson. But he's the only one, and I still think you don't want to be reaching for him. No, you don't want to be reaching for him, but if he's your fourth running back, that's that's pretty nice. I and mean, I think it's conceivable as as we said that you're getting in between 35 and 40 maybe at the running back position that that could be your number 4 running back and you could actually get, you know, high 
RB3, even back in RB2 returns, if, if all the stars kind of align for him. Again, it's a, it's a, it's yeah. a hot mess in Houston. But <laughs> as you said, they, they are going to score some points. There's going to be somebody who emerges from this, this mess and is helpful in fantasy. And I, I think David Johnson is probably my choice uh, as that guy. If you have it readily available, who are some of those last backs who have gone in that draft where David Johnson still sits there available? Yeah, so it's um, – let's see here. It is from 30, it was Melvin Gordon, 31, Chase Edmonds, 32, James Robinson, 33, Ronald Jones, 34, A.J. Dillon, 35, Kenyon Drake, 36, Devin Singletary. Okay. That feels like a fair enough spot for him, I guess. I would take him over some of those guys, but I don't think that's like egregious. I'd rather have him than AJ Dillon. I'd rather have him than Devin Singletary. Yeah, but I don't think that's like a like a oh my god, this is outrageous. He's still here. Yeah, I think mid thirties is when you you have to seriously start considering him, and I think it's it's yeah. basically right now at this point in the draft that we're doing that I think you know I would probably have taken David Johnson over Devin Singletary at RB thirty yeah. six, and I'd be happy with David Johnson at RB thirty six. So. Can I just say, well, two things I want to say. First of all, I am on uh, Pro Football Reference, great reference page for anyone who's, you know, <laughs> just interested in football or whatever, doing a podcast, whatever it might be. Number one, I was on David Johnson's page. Uh, one of the best things about all the sport references is they have the nicknames that no one's ever heard of, right? Ooh. And so David Johnson apparently has a nickname of Humble Rumble. You ever heard that one? <laughs> never. Never <laughs> heard that. It's kind of awesome, though. I like it. There's, there's so many. Whether football, <laughs> baseball, basketball, there's so many ridiculous nicknames that no one's ever heard of. But Humble Rumble, apparently. Maybe that'll get him going if uh, people start referring to him as the Humble Rumble. Uh, what I was really going to look at was, man, Philip Lindsay deserves better. I I, I yeah. feel so bad for the guy. Right, he's just he is he twenty say he turns twenty seven in July. Like he's I still got plenty left in the tank. I think five hundred thirty four career carries. The guy ran for more than a thousand yards in not the best of circumstances in Denver. His first two seasons in the league, and then they go and they bring in Melvin Gordon. Like the guy deserves better. I would love to see him on a good team. Even doesn't have to be lead, doesn't have to be in an eighty twenty timeshare. Doesn't have to be the obvious leader of a backfield. I just want to see him on a good team and a good offense and a competent offense because I really think he's got a lot to offer and it's just it's not going to happen in Houston. It just isn't. I I loved his running style. You know, watching him in Denver when he was getting appreciable mm-hmm. carries. I mean, he just he hits the hole at 100 miles an hour and um yeah, I just he's a, a fearless running back and and got some talent for sure. I I agree. He's never really gotten his a fair shake. You would think Though that this would be a time for him to, uh, in a, in a, you know, over the hill, Mark Ingram and, and Rex Burkhead and David Johnson's lost a step. If he still has everything he's had, you know, in Denver, then he has a chance to shine. And maybe, you know, I, I don't think that anybody is viewing him as the lead back, though. I think that's kind of he's yeah. been kind of typecast and that might be something he'll be a headwind against him the rest of his career. Yeah, it's it's really disappointing, and I don't know if you can hear it, but uh, I've got I've got a little baby over here to my right, and she's starting <laughs> to fuss a little bit. Even she, this early in her life, is just hating what's being done to Philip Lindsay <laughs> in Houston. So I think we're just gonna leave it there on Let's Hope for Better Things for Philip Lindsay. That's gonna do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. We will be back with you next week. Me, Brandon, and Jake Seeley back in the mix. Then, until then, enjoy everything. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.